This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. So Shane, let's talk about deviled eggs today. Oh, let's not. They're one of your favorite foods, right? Yeah, no, not even, not even in the bottom 10th of a percentile. I think it's just the middle stuff. I just really struggle with, what do we call that? What is the middle stuff called? The filling or what? Filling the goo goo gunk stuff i don't know well i love deviled eggs as long as they're my deviled eggs or my mom's deviled eggs but anyone else's yeah no not so much shane i'm gonna take this to the next level for you with chocolate deviled eggs chocolate good egg good chocolate deviled egg that makes me a little unsure To me, the idea of a chocolate deviled egg looks like the poo emoji in the middle of a hard-boiled egg white. So no, the visual on that for me, I just can't go there. But I was reading in 1440 this week about the Ohio State Fair and that they have a food vendor there that this year is presenting chocolate deviled eggs, s'mores deviled eggs, lemon meringue, and cotton candy deviled eggs. Now, I love to go to the fair, even though I have a rather severe motion sickness issue. And when my brain puts together state fair, chocolate deviled eggs, and rides, there's not a positive outcome to that whatsoever. I got a little more information with you here that I think is very interesting, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love this. It's not a Southern cuisine. Wikipedia is giving credit to Italy and Spain and ancient Rome for the creation of this incredible, terrible hors d'oeuvre. I'm an anti-mayonnaise person more than I'm an anti-deviled egg person. I think we're on to something here. I have to go to Ohio and I have to eat some of these eggs to see if it cures my deviled egg anguish. I think that's why I like my deviled eggs and not anyone else's because I don't make mine with mayonnaise. I make mine with ranch dressing. The uh, other problematic ingredient would be ranch. So that's right above mayonnaise on my distaste chart. Learn something new today. <laughs> but you're probably wondering why in the world I brought chocolate deviled eggs up during an insurance podcast, right? I never wonder anymore what the intro is about and what the subject matter is about. I have reached this level of immense trust in Tanya's subject matter. First of all, I'm going to put the article about this vendor at the Ohio State Fair and the recipe for chocolate deviled eggs on our social media sites. So be sure to go find us at IA Forward in case you want to learn more. But what the inspiration was for today's podcast was something you said a few episodes ago about wanting to do an entire episode based on the idea of who are you listening to. And had the folks at the Ohio Poultry Association come to you or come to me and said, hey, we're thinking about making dessert deviled eggs for the state fair this year. What do you think? You and I would have in tandem said no. 
Absolutely not. But the lemon meringue deviled eggs were one of the biggest sellers at last year's state fair. And so they expanded this year. I would have said absolutely not. You're 100% correct. I have a pretty good risk tolerance, but that's incredible. You talk about choosing your lens a lot. And I think choosing your lens on who you trust when it comes to sharing your goals, sharing your ideas, and even somewhat sharing your successes is going to be key to your success long term. Who you listen to is extremely critical from an agency ownership standpoint. And it's a validation need. First and foremost, why do we ask people what they think? Why do we do that? What is the human nature piece? Where's the root of that question for you to say for anything? What do you think about this? Or what do you think about this idea? Or whatever it might be, the core issue there is confidence. That's really where it comes down to, which sounds a little crazy. My opinion, I'm a pretty confident guy, but I tend to ask too many people what they think about a decision that I'm after. Now, I have good people and I have a small circle that are surrounding me from an agency ownership standpoint. I have a leadership team. And I think that when I am going through things, I've sort of migrated to asking those that it might impact what they think about this. But early in my career, my normal process would be to ask as many people as I could what they thought about a certain idea. And I would get a ton of different things. I would get different ideas. I would get different feedback. I would get, oh, I think that's great. And then I would get, oh, I think that's dumb. And to your point, who you ask is extremely important because if you want to be confused about the decision that you're about to make even more, then just go ask five more people. And that's the thing that I've heard other people say throughout my life is the more people you ask, the more opinions you get, the further away from the decision you actually get to. And that's the irony of the thing. You think, okay, I need to ask more people. I need to get more opinions. I need to see how more people think about this because that'll give me more data to register through this decision process. And it actually works against you because the more people you bring into the circle, the more different opinions you're going to get. And the more people that you upset when you don't apply their opinions or suggestions to your original idea. Absolutely. If it was me, I would do this. And then this turns out to be not what you do. Well, they're going to get offended. Well, did you not like my idea? I noticed you didn't do that. You did this other thing. So yeah, you've got to understand that that is this sort of leadership. It's lonely at the top. All of those cliches that come into owning a business, running a business. This is part of that sort of growth and learning curve that agency owners, business owners go through. It's okay to have different people in your life to listen to for different things as well. If you had a marketing idea, you would probably come to me and we would talk through it. But if you had a process idea, then I'm probably not your first pick, right? Who is is important? Expertise, background is important. I'm not an expert on everything, right? Even though I stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night. The older I get, the more narrow in terms of expertise that I think I get 
intentionally. And that is because I want to master my craft. Whatever that craft is, I want to master it. I want to become the best I can at it, which means that I can't be the best at everything. Like I can't be the most incredible, knowledgeable person about two dozen things. I could maybe become really, really smart about a half a dozen things. And maybe it's even less than that. But it's just this idea that we tend to turn to lots of different people because I don't think we have confidence or we don't want to fall on our face. There's all these things that are wrapped up into this. And a lot of times we ask a whole bunch of different people things that aren't experts on those things because we really just want validation or permission. We really just want somebody to tell us it's okay. And I hate that. And I don't love that for other people because that is not the most healthy place to be from an ownership leadership standpoint. How do you choose who to talk to and who to listen to? For me, it's trust first and foremost. Do I trust that this person's going to be honest with me? I don't want somebody who's just going to tell me what they think I want to hear. I want somebody to tell me, even if it's not what I want to hear, their truthful, honest opinion about it. Because that's really what you're asking for. You're asking for someone's opinion. When we are in that mode, I want so much trust and authenticity because that's what's going to help me. What's not going to help me is that somebody just agrees with me to agree with me. That doesn't help me. There are moments where I still kind of creep back into the validation realm. I really am asking this because I want validation. I already know I'm going to do it. That's the thing that my dad and I had that he learned early on. And we even had conversations where he would say, why are you asking me this? You're going to do it. You're already made your mind up. You just come in here to see if I would validate that. And he was right. And that was towards the end of his life. He finally kind of understood. You don't want my opinion. You just want validation. And I learned that through his guidance and understanding that about myself. Most people are that way. They already know they want to do it. They just need somebody to validate that they can do it or that it's okay to do it. Strong leadership is this is what I need to do. I know I need to do it. I'm going to do it. And you know what? If it fails, I'm going to own it. And that's okay. That's sort of this pinnacle leadership level that I aspire to get to. Not that I don't want other people's opinions. Not that I don't want to get feedback from my team because I do, especially if it impacts their world. But if I have a really strong belief we need to do something, then I need to just do it. I need to just lead us down that path. I don't need to see if everyone else thinks it's a great idea. That's part of leadership. That is leadership. There's a lot of this who you listen to wrapped into that that we need to get stronger and stronger at as individuals. I was at an event in Dallas a few months ago and there were a big group of us having dinner and one of the girls at the table looked over at me and she said Tanya you know I I really want to work with you would you consider being a performance coach for me and helping her through some physical and mental challenges that she's having with really pushing herself to the next level and one of the other girls at the table popped up and said no Tanya you're mean when it comes to coaching and I'm like I am not mean 
mean I am disarmingly honest? And I looked at this girl that had asked the question and I said, do you really want coaching? Do you really want me to ask those questions? Do you really want me to push you? Or do you just want somebody to listen and tell you everything is going to be okay? If that's what you want, I'm not your girl. I can send you on that path and help you find somebody that's going to validate where you are. But if you really want somebody that's going to push through to the next level, ask those questions with love. Now keep that in mind. I mean, you know, I'm not going in and being mean, but I'm going in and asking questions and making suggestions to help you grow and get better. If that's what you want, let's talk. And I've seen so many times because a person's going to always come back and say, oh yeah, you know, that's really what I want. I really want to get better. And then I would say four times out of five, my first session with them, I figure out pretty quickly, they really just want that validation that what they're doing is correct. And I can give that and I can send them on their way. But those usually aren't the people that go on to be professional world champions. I call them the clappers because they're in the background clapping when the other person gets the championship trophy. The struggle in society today is that truth or someone being very honest is interpreted as mean. And maybe it is tone, but I think it is somewhat of a downfall of our society, negative in our society today. You can't give someone that real honest feedback without hurting feelings, without stepping on toes and people becoming offended and calling you mean. That's just really, really crazy. And I wish we could get to a level where that's not where we were. How much better could we be as business owners, as businesses, if we took constructive criticism, if we took honest feedback and we said, okay, maybe I do have a problem with this and I do need to be better and I need to develop more. And what if we did that without going, well, that person's just mean. They're just ugly. They're just whatever. And sometimes they are. There is that person that's just absolutely mean. And that person needs to work on a whole nother level of development within themselves. But for the most part, especially when you ask for it, don't ask me if you don't want the truth. We're not taking that honest feedback and just going, okay, maybe I need to think about this. We're getting offended by it. I will say the girl that said I was mean, she and her ballroom dance partner had a few sessions with me. Yes, I did make Jamie cry. She moved to working with someone else for about three months. And after that, they came back and said, okay, we really do need you. And four years later, we're still working together. So it's not that somebody's being mean. It's that usually the person that you're choosing to put that kind of trust in really does want what's best for you. This is that what is love scenario with parenting a child. Is it love to discipline the child when they mess up, when they do wrong, when they're not doing what they're supposed to do? Or is it love to ignore they're there? It's okay. Which one of those approaches is really love? And I contend that love is the discipline. Love is I want you to do better. I don't want you to make this mistake again. We all make mistakes, but I don't want you to repeat mistakes over and over and over again. I want you to learn from this mistake. If I don't care 
then I don't discipline. That's not love. Love is not caring. Love is caring. Once you kind of get down into that, is it mean to tell someone that they're not doing something the way they're supposed to do it? Does it mean that you tell your dance student that they're not doing this right, that they need to do it a different way, or they need to smile more? They look like a RBF. I use I use the term constipated. Constipated. That's a good one. I like that. How about you smile and look like you are enjoying being here? Is that me? Maybe the tone from Miss Tanya was a little harsh, but maybe not. Is that love or is is it, yeah, I can't say that to her because she's going to cry and get upset. Okay, she's going to go out there and lose and look like a fool. Well, that's not love. That's our definition of like what is really love. And I use parenting as an example because it's what I go to. And I think it's like back to, okay, who are we listening to? And then on the coaching side, on the opinion side, how are we communicating that? I get accused of maybe using my dad voice sometimes and having a tone. And that's not necessarily my intention. My intention is out of love to correct. As a business owner, as a leader within an organization, we have team members that come to us in crisis situations and their personal lives, challenges that they're having, whether they're having problems there in the office or at home. We get a wide variety of problems that kind of sometimes get plopped in our laps. And when I was a young manager, I would always try to fix those problems and tell people what to do. It's one of the places that I've really evolved I think because now I've learned to listen, to ask some questions. I have a sign in my bathroom that says advice is what you ask for when you already know the answer but wish you didn't. And that's kind of where I've landed as a leader is that letting people talk, asking some questions and encouraging them to figure out the answers to the challenges themselves because that makes them a stronger person and a better leader long term guide advise never tell them what to do never give them the answer helping them find the answer helping them uncover what they already know is the answer that's incredible coaching consulting listening the listening twice as much as we talk because we have two ears and one mouth that's one that's taken me a while and sometimes I still don't do it correctly I'm a talker I'm a think out loud guy I'm a what do you think person that has gotten me in trouble and I've had to learn. This has been a developed thing for me to be a better listener. And I continue to try and be better at this. Sometimes I I fail at this because I'm used to people coming to me. As a business owner, we get that a lot. People come to you and ask you advice. Ask what you think. Or they just want to talk through something and they need somebody to listen. Even if we are seeking validation on something we really are going to do anyway, still, who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to go to in the first place, right? Which is who you're going to listen to. I think it's extremely important. I have a few mentors. My mentors, I've narrowed 
down over time, that's intentional because I've kind of gone through those experiences and gone through kind of some different things and made some mistakes. And, and, you know, there's just no substitute for that experience. But expertise and understanding expertise is crucial when we're seeking that guidance, when we're asking someone to tell us something that we need, that we're going to listen to. I have a couple of different attorneys that I work with. In one of those attorney settings, extremely brilliant individual that is finance, banking, business, high-end, national and international level attorney. And he sent me to a partner on an estate issue or on tax issues, understanding that there's reasons why you see these professionals in lawyers and doctors in specialty areas. It's because you can't be great at everything. It's impossible. So why would we allow our business decisions to kind of center around taking cues from all these different people that aren't experts on that stuff? We have to separate who is selling me something versus who is being truthful with me. We have someone potentially right in front of us that is a really good expert, that is a really truthful person with us, but they kind of hurt my feelings. And so I go over here and I listen to the salesy person that doesn't hurt my feelings and I choose that answer. And that doesn't make sense to me. Being a coach is very much like being a business owner. What steps did you take to make yourself a better coach? Experience. My coaching ability, my coaching approach with female athletes, which is where I spent all of my time as a coach, not necessarily in the athletic world. Ironically, as a baseball player, I spent like two years right out of college teaching, coaching young baseball men. But then as a girl dad, I followed into girls sports from day one to a year ago, which is kind of where I kind of finished my coaching time at this point. There's probably a span of at least 15 years there. Experience seeing success and failure, a lot of failure, which is the part people aren't going to want to hear. I failed a lot. My poor oldest child got to be the individual that experienced my failure as a coach because my communication skills weren't what they are today. My ability to explain something and understand that if someone can't just do it the way I did it, I've got to explain how to do it the way they can do it and understand they move differently than I move or their athletic strengths might be different than my athletic strengths. You can't just take your playing skills and then all of a sudden everybody's going to do it the way you did it. And in a lot of cases, since the best coaches were not necessarily the best players, that's a good thing. I don't necessarily want anyone that I coached to hit the way I hit because that was not my strength. I was not a great hitter. I was more of a defensive specialist in baseball. I don't want my kids that I coached to understand how to hit like me. I want to understand how to help them be a better hitter in who they are. I think there went a lot of failure that went into becoming a good coach. And I I would translate that to business owner and say the same thing. And I know that that's not what everyone's asking 
after and you didn't listen to this podcast to hear somebody say, well, you just got to fail a lot. What I mean is, is you got to go and do and adjust and do again. And you're going to be better the second time. And you're going to be better the third time and the fourth time. It's just a fact. If I go and grab a basketball and I walk out on the court to take a shot for the first time in 10 years, my first shot is going to be worse than my second shot. And my second shot is going to be worse than my third shot. But if I keep shooting, I'm going to understand my touch. I'm going to get back into the rhythm and I'm going to be able to improve that process. And what we want in our day, in society, in our businesses, is we just want to shortcut everything. We just want to go, yeah, but I just want success. Okay, (laughs) but that's not easy. Shortcutting success isn't the answer, which is why this is an infinite game business. The answer is stay in the game long enough to become a great player in that game. I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Matt Biondi. Persistence can change failure into extraordinary achievement. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.